Hello and welcome to the Emotion of Work podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition and I'm very excited for our episode today because it plays into some different aspects that I'm really interested in which is how we think or feel about ourselves and then how we want others to feel about us and that can be manifested in the way that we look. So the way that we think and feel about ourselves then can have an impact on the way that we want other people to feel about or think about us and that can be manifested through how we look to other people. Um, And that's how we physically look is the focus that we're going to get into today. And some aspects of that then, so some aspects about how we look, for example, how we style our clothes or our hair or our accessories, some of those are within our control. But other aspects, so for example, maybe our height or the shape of our skeleton, the size of our feet, our hands, about things that we can't control, or at least without any kind of clinical intervention anyway. Um, And then there are aspects that could be in our control, but at the same time might not be. And and that's something else we're going to get into as we work our way through the podcast today. So my guest today trained as an image consultant around a decade ago, and their voice is one that I hugely value in the HR world on Twitter. Um, And when I read her blog, I think it must be about two months or so ago, and there'll be a link to the blog um, in the show notes. I was inspired to ask her to come and join me on the podcast. So let's get our guest on the air. On the air. Let's get our guest on the air. Even Uh, welcome to the podcast, Denise Sanderson. Hi, Denise. Hi there, Phil. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Good. Really well. That's wonderful to hear. Um, and as per usual, then for this podcast, we'll, then, we'll open with an unexpected yet innocuous question. And um, my uh, my one for today is inspired by recent events. So, would you rather have it too hot or too cold? That's an easy one for me. Too hot, easily. I know that you can put layers on when you're you know, you know you're cold, but yeah, given the choice, definitely, I'd rather be too warm. Um, by the beach, ideally, um, but too warm than too cold. I would just, see. I'd rather be too cold than too warm. I think. Um, yeah, I'm definitely yeah. the person in the office that is like shut the windows. Um, like I say, by the beach, nice cool breeze, but hot. That works for me. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I, that's got to be too cold for me. I, 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 <laughs> Why I, I, is I, that, Phil? Well, so I think I sweat a lot. If I'm honest, I think I'm a, I'm a very sweaty man, um, which isn't which is the best way to open a podcast. I think, um, and those, it's an honest those way. that haven't seen me for a long time will probably be grateful <laughs> of the fact. Um, but no, I, yeah, I just I, I I don't like the the stickiness, the hotness, and the stickiness. So that that yeah, I feel uncomfortable with that. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd rather be cooler and then put the layers on to keep myself warm. Um, and there's probably also an element of self-consciousness from a, um, a, a, the risk of making a blatant segue into the content today. There is this, there is a bit of kind of, um, yeah, self-concern, I guess, or image consciousness around, yeah. um, you know, being the man that takes his top off with his moves out and all of that stuff as well. So, <laughs> yes, um, we're, we're definitely not, um, not going to, go too far down that road yeah. um, in allowing you to go there Phil but you know we're all human and it's part of the human condition actually to to as, as you said in your opening to consider the world around us and how we might appear in it mm. so you know summer is is headline time if you like for lots of body image challenges and a couple of things that I've written in the past and the body confidence cards that I've got do do point to that so I think the card that I've got in June very much talks about the fact that you know we're about to hit summer you've been able to cover up 
probably in the UK at least for the, probably the last six months yeah. um, and then suddenly you find yourself as you say feeling hot and sweaty and if you're not careful you can amplify that feeling of discomfort because you you're covering up so yeah i mean we could we could almost jump straight in with that segue um yeah go on let's go let's jump in yeah go yeah i mean as i say this time of the year is is a particular challenge i think Hmm. we can cover up in the winter you can put coats on you can put layers on you can put a hat on if you've got alopecia you can you know kind of hide yourself in a scarf if you've got sort of a, a visual disfigurement there are all sorts of things um that you can do in the winter that the summer is a, is, is a really exposing time, particularly if it is a nice, hot, warm summer. Um, mm. And we end up with all the narrative. I mean, you, you, you key in beach body now or you go on the, not that we're traveling much, but, you know, you go and you look at any posters on a bus stop or whatever. And, you know, diet culture and all of that stuff is rife. And it's particularly, um, you know, prominent in in the warmer in the warmer months Um, and it starts really early so we talk about it being in the summer months but you know it starts quite early you know get ready for so we're we're putting this idea in people's heads long before the summer's even arrived that you've got to do something about yourself to be able to enjoy and experience it Mm. and that's that's wrong on so many levels because that that it's not healthy you know it starts to challenge us mentally early it challenges us mentally in that actual space um it has us thinking about how we look over how we feel to have the sun hit us it then has a knock-on effect in terms of you know actual health you know if we're covering ourselves up and we're not absorbing vitamin d then Mm. there are a number of sort of knock-on effects that you know it's very easy to not consider because we think oh if i lose weight or if i look a particular way in the summer I will, you know, it it will change how people perceive me. So, yeah, really, really important timing to have these sorts of conversations just before the summer, in the summer. And this year, really, really important because there is evidence to suggest that COVID has amplified the way people feel um, about themselves. So Um. the fact that we're going into a phase of, right, okay, everything's open again, um, that that it's that in itself is something that needs to be considered in this in this space this image space because you know research and and evidence suggests that covid has had a knock-on effect on on how people are feeling about themselves and therefore that will have an impact on how people show up back in the office um yeah so i'm Mm. sure we'll get into that in a little bit more more detail um but yeah that's just kind of my my opening thoughts and i I could very easily go off on a complete tangent get really passionate about this stuff Mm. um because it segues into so many other conversations that we're having um in society at the moment you know um, who's got a right to say what about another person Mm. a whole range of things but i'll I'll stop there and i'm sure there's some questions um from you that you want to get into yeah. So, uh, so yes, loads. And and you're right. There's so, in in a way, we this conversation can go in so many different directions. So I, I'm really excited to um to see where we do go. What what I was thinking was um might be useful to, for us to begin with is to is to situate why we're talking about this around uh, around emotion in the workplace in particular. So you because um. 
I guess if I put myself in the listener's shoes, then I'm thinking, all right, well, why why are Phil and Denise talking about this? Then why why are we bringing this uh, up as as a as a topic in an area that we think is is worthy of exploration? Um, so I'm going to start with that one, if that's okay. Then, so for you, with uh, whether it be with your HR hat on or from a from a providing leadership within the workplace, because I know you do both. Why is this topic important for you when we think about the workplace and, and why do why do the listeners need to be aware of or pay attention to this topic, do you think, Denise? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of jump straight in with a statistic. So there's been mm. some work done um, very recently actually by the Women and Equalities Commission, which is a cross-party um sort of group of, of parliamentarians. Mm. And one of the well, the report that they've recently done on body image says that 61% of adults have um, body image issues that have a negative impact on sort of their lives and the reality of it is is we spend most of our time at work Mm -hmm. so if there are 61% of the population or at least the population that was surveyed and spoken to are experiencing that issue that means that a significant proportion of those people are people we work with and so this isn't an issue that sits outside in terms of how I look on a Saturday night Mm. Um, this is an issue that comes to work with us every day because we come to work every day so our physicality comes to work every day now that's included on if you are sat in a zoom call and you're thinking about and you know we've all seen again we've seen the memes around you know what we started looking like when we dressed at the beginning of this and everybody was making sure that you know for a woman hair and makeup or or anyone who wore wore hair and makeup was you know pristine Mm -hmm. and and then it kind of moves into this stage where perhaps less so um that we're less conscious about how we look on a screen now we see more of people in their home context for example so we we make broader judgments now but when we when we are bringing ourselves to work, this whole notion of bringing your whole self to work, you know, we talk about it almost as if it's this kind of bring your mental diversity to work and bring who you are. But physically, that means you're going up to work as well. So if that's 61% of the population or, or the, the audience, at least, are having image issues then how is that showing up at work and for me from an employer point of view it shows up right through the employee life cycle so do we make judgments when certain individuals walk through the door at the point of recruitment for example Um, does it impact around promotions around mental health all of these things happen at work Um, again eating disorders are on the rise Um, they are on the rise generally but they have been that issue has been amplified during COVID. So when people are going back into work, especially if they've seen the memes, if the things that they had in their wardrobe no longer fit them, all of these things play on your mind or potentially play on your mind when you're walking into the office in the first day. Um, And when the conversation turns to, did you spend, you know, any of lockdown getting fit? Um, Did you, you know, the COVID pound, I think it's being called at the moment. But how we show up to work is about how we physically show up to work as well. And actually, more fundamentally than that, if we look at our workplaces, how many people do we see around us who have um, visible difference, um, burns and, like burns and scars? Mm-hmm. How many people around us do we see that are um, 
have disabilities, we know that there are going to be people at work with mental health issues. Those mental health issues include disordered eating, um, you know, body dysmorphia. People are coming into work um, or being at work with these issues being part of them. And if we don't recognise that at work, then the knock-on effect um, is ultimately that we're not genuinely um, enabling inclusion and diversity. We're not honestly saying, bring your whole self to work and show up fully. Because, for example, somebody in a larger body, and I will use the, the word fat during the, mm -hmm. the course of this, because that's the language that people have told me they are comfortable having used. There's a whole mm -hmm. thing around the language. But, you know, if you are fat at work and there are memes going around or every social event involves you eating um, and you're already self-conscious or if you have a visible difference um, and then the, the social activity that you all do is we'll meet for a picnic in the park um, and everybody, we've talked about the summer and everybody's there in their shorts and you don't feel comfortable doing that. How comfortable are you going to be in raising your hand in a meeting or putting yourself out for that promotion? So I see that there is a real synergy um, and connection in the same way we look at all forms of diversity in terms of how we see ourselves at work physically. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah no, it does. It does. Um, and one of the things that... Um, so when we had our, our conversation, I think it was three weeks ago or so, when we, we no, two or three weeks ago, I think, when we, we scoped and, and planned this podcast, um, uh, we were talking about the, uh, you mentioned the words um, diversity and inclusion within, uh, within the examples you were giving there. And uh, one of the things I shared in, in our conversation was how I'd put together some videos recently. I'd put together some animated videos, trying, you know, telling some different stories about what emotion a word does and how it's come about and those things. And I was really um, aware of the, um, the diversity and inclusivity within that, um, in particular around ethnicity and race. Um, and when I came away from our call, I think well, then there was during our call when you mentioned about um, body image and body size. And I was thinking, you know what, I, that's something that just wasn't in my um, in my list of considerations at all. Um, so disability was in there, um, but in terms of any body disfigurements or um, in terms of body size or body shape, then that wasn't in my in my list of, of considerations at all. It was when you mentioned it, I was like, well, of course, and in in, in a self-judgmental way. But at the same time, it, it was just outside of awareness. And is that something that you experience as well, that the, the, this area that we're talking about in particular today in terms of um, body image and the, phys the physical presence that you bring, the, about that sitting just on the edge of awareness rather than within awareness? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, I'm not sitting here and saying that I always get it right and that I'm an expert in this field. I'm sort of an expert in a couple in a couple of touch points and bringing them all, to, all together into this space. But, yeah, definitely it's, it is very much about awareness. Um, I think the, the flip side of that coin, though, is also about the fact that societally we are we marginalize it, it's quite a it's quite a, it's almost a deliberate thing that we do you know it feeds the diet industry it, it feels our own egos to to exclude people so it's 
it's because it's not there. We don't see it very much. It's There's less representation. Now it's increasing and there are louder voices um, in that space around visible difference, around sort of imagery of weight and so on. Mm. But there are, in some ways, you know, we expect people with visible difference and, and, and fat people to kind of be kind of quiet in the room, to not show up loudly um now i'm obviously i'm not condoning or supporting that but but that is the reality that's the experience and why it's important to ally and to raise awareness in this space because you've got some people as in any form of diversity who are willfully not going to embrace this idea of inclusion but we also on the other side have as you say people who are who are not aware and you're not going to be because if you key in diverse images at work for example you don't see fat people come up in those images you don't see visible difference in the way of scars and burns come up in those images so it's, it is outside of our consciousness because it's not there in front of us that's one aspect but the other thing is is that because we've marginalized a number of people or a number of people with those sorts of conditions alopecia you know lookism even you know we expect and we see certain people put at the forefront of things so you know it, it, it some of these issues just aren't in our line of sight in reality and i think that's one of the reasons that for me it's important to have that conversation i could very much talk from the perspective of being female and black and there are loads of people in that space speaking on that and i've chosen to some degree to deal with that individually and recognize lots of people are already doing it i'll have conversations around those things but there's lots of voices in that space the other thing is is that these issues aren't disconnected because there is some very clear um, narrative around the whole ideas around lookism and weight that are attached to the things that we do see more often so um, or the people we do see more often so women for example are judged Mm -hmm. differently um, in terms of weight men are judged differently in terms of height Um, and there are you know there are there are books and there is research that talks Mm -hmm. about the fact that things like fat phobia are rooted in racism so it's a way to to have the conversation is around not just these these issues that I'm talking about it's about a lot broader set of issues but it's about bringing these issues into that space and into people's awareness and consciousness because the reality of it is is they are very much in the consciousness of the people who are fat or or who have a disfigurement and so on so it's a very it's easy for me as somebody who also is in you know kind of a slimmer body you know you start talking about privilege and people start getting a bit agitated but the reality of it is is that yeah we're conditioned to if you're if you're a fat person in a bigger body with a disfigurement you're kind of conditioned to stay out of the mainstream Mm. and if you are somebody that's in the mainstream you are conditioned to keep perpetuating what you see around you and what you know big business wants you to think feel and do and as i said we see that all the time in advertising we see that all the time in media but it is changing i'm really pleased it's changing um 
but it then gets considered a little bit of tokenism. Oh, are you just putting in a plus size person or, you know, somebody with a disability just to sort of tick the boxes? And mm. so that's why it's it's more than awareness. It starts with awareness, though. And then I think you have to go deeper into, no, how do we make this not about tokenism and not just about awareness, but about action? So it's not just, oh, is that shame? It's what am I going to do about it? What can I see around me? How am I going to make a difference? Um, so that's that's for me why you didn't see it. And honestly, I didn't see it um, until I was in the sort of the image mm image space and I didn't even see it very early I saw it quite a bit down the line because you know people were coming to me as an image consultant and you know wanting to look better and what does that mean what that means is we're, we're conforming to a stereotype so it would be you know black makes me look slimmer would be one of the things I'd often hear and it'd be why do you want to why do you want to look slimmer you are who you are you bring so much to the space but I completely understand that that's not necessarily the story that society tells. Hmm. And and I, I feel like sometimes I, I I'm a bit of a broken record. So I, I talk about context a lot, and I talk about systemicness a lot. Hmm. Um, uh, and, and because often, as you say, these things don't don't um, appear in isolation. I, I want to come back on the comment you made about. Um, uh, I can't remember exactly the phrase you used. I think you said fat phobia is rooted in racism. So I think that I, I, I'd love to come back and explore that with you in a minute. Um, okay. I just want to pick up on the on the systemic and the contextualized stuff first. And, and if I think back to other episodes of the podcast that we've done, so we had um, uh, Dr. Samuel Lana who came on the podcast, I think it was episode six or episode seven. And within that, we talked about how how we use words and language to denote in-group and out-group status mm. um, and how uh, each organisation will have its own set of, of phrases or terminologies or acronyms which you need to learn to fit in. Um, yeah, so to, when you when you join that organisation, there'll be yeah a, a particular unique set of, um, of words or phrases that if you don't know, that denotes you in your out-groupness. So I remember when I first started working at McDonald's um, and they said, oh, have you cleaned the baseboards? I was like, why? I said, have you, have you, when you clean the kitchen, did you clean the baseboards? And I was like, no, what are the baseboards? And they said, oh, well, can you go get me a stepladder? Because we need a stepladder to reach the baseboards. And I was like, all right, okay, yeah, fair enough. So I went off and got the stepladder and came back. And they were talking about the skirting boards, um, but I'd never heard them referred to as baseboards before. So within... And I don't know if that was just if that was just within my store or whether that was a thing we picked up, you know, that came from the American from the American lingo that then made its way over to the UK. Um, and it was, you know, it was uh, there was there lots of laughter and and and, and joviality that came afterwards. Um, but that um, that in group out groupness, um, that conforming versus I don't know what the opposite of conforming would be, so being in as part of the in group or being part of the out group. Yeah. Um, it seems to permeate so many different, um, so many different things of, of of what we do, and in a way, there's there's got to be some some benefits of that as well as some challenges. So. One of the uh, I'm going to get on a soapbox now. So one of the things that I struggle with, Over it. <laughs> well, one of the things I struggle with is the is the bring your whole self to work thing. 
And what I'm, when I say I struggle with it is because as, as shown in the last two weeks in the UK, so I woke up on um, Monday, yesterday morning, it's Tuesday today, I woke up on woke up yesterday morning to a headline on the sports pages of, of my chosen news outlets with um, Lewis Hamilton receives racist abuse for his yep. uh, following his win at the British Grand Prix. The week before that was the, was it two weeks ago now, was the football with um, Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford and um, Bukaya Saka. And, and, and though, so clearly those, those beliefs, those opinions exist. So on one hand, you know what, I don't want that at work. If that's somebody's whole self, then uh, you know what, yeah. I don't want that at work. <laughs> yeah. Because that's 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 wholly inappropriate. But at the same time, I want somebody to feel comfortable, to feel confident, to feel like they can put their, you know, they, they can raise huge examples you used early on. They can raise their hand in a meeting. They can make the application for a promotion. They can um, do whatever those things are. Um, so, because so, and then that brings me back full circle to the systemic and the contextual stuff, um, because that without it you almost you're, you're looking at something in isolation and that limits the view that you might have of it I, I don't know what my question is that brings all that together by the way I feel like I've just rambled for like four or five minutes but yeah yes I'm, I'm gonna feel like I'm gonna be quiet now. sorry so just picking up a little bit on what you say is I suppose hmm. how I would I would, I would bring forward definitely the context bit. I think I've already sort of touched on the context. So the context mm. at work is around somebody feeling that they can they can wholly contribute, if not bring them whole selves to work. Because I, I yeah. very much value the point that actually I don't want everybody to bring their whole selves, selves to work. And I don't necessarily want to bring my whole self to work. You know, I should bring the right bits to work. That's, mm. that's part of it. But I think, not but, and I think you are right about the fact that there is a systemicness to this and we can see that because it starts so early it starts in childhood um so I wrote a blog called the seven stages of body image I think it was um mm. and using sort of Shakespeare's seven stages of man and pretty much other than when you're a baby and you don't hear it you know issues around our image start really really early so there was a sort of video a viral thing going around again during lockdown I think quite early in lockdown around um somebody showing the word in sort of air quotes an ugly baby and the reaction to that now as a baby you don't you don't get that but as a parent you're already being conditioned to show your child in a way that is acceptable to sort of society so it starts very early um, and parents are conditioned in this way and then you think about that the evidence suggests that children sort of between the ages of three and five are already having body image issues and that's because society surrounds them with these images so I work with um, an organisation called the Body Happy Kids Organisation. Molly Forbes is an absolute sort of genius in this space. There's mm. lots been done on children. Um, the reality of it is, is even the Disney characters that we see all have a particular look. The bad characters in children's stories are either bald, scarred or fat. So very early on, we're making an, an association 
with um, the way we look and what it says about us as a person. So you're out in the street and you look up at a billboard um, and you see that the way to be healthy and to be loved and to be valued in society is to be slim, white, um, you know, able-bodied and so on. Now, it might mm. be that that's not what society is telling you, but they're certainly not showing you much in the way of an alternative. And there are some sectors, the beauty industry, the diet industry, the fitness industry, that literally do thrive on creating that, that environment. Now, that's not all of them. Diet industry is slightly different, but that's not all of them. So, you know, the health at every size movement, you have people like Tally Rye who, um, and Dr. Lindo Bacon, I think, talk about health at every size and trying to break down and dispel some of the medical myths. Um, don't get me started on BMI, we'll be here a while, but, you know, around some yeah, of okay. the medical myths around health is slimness. Now, when you throw into the mix that, eating disorders are a real issue and mental health is a real societal issue. If we aren't careful at joining up the dots, society is actually creating the problem that the diet industry and others are saying that they're trying to solve. So we do have a society-wide issue um, and that's taking it outside of the work context a little bit. But again, to, to bring that work context in, all of those narratives play out in the workplace. All of those narratives play out in mm. the workplace. Be and particularly if you have, um, you know, we all know what our demographics are in our organisations around sort of race and gender and sexual yeah, yeah. orientation and so on. Yeah. It's that point you made before about awareness. Are we even aware of the impact of some of our behaviours and our activities um, on people who don't fit the mould and aren't covered to some degree by the protected characteristics because some of the issues I'm talking about are covered um, by protected characteristics um, and under the Health and Safety at Work Act. So it's definitely something that is systemic and societal and there is some evidence to, su to suggest I think this, the um, people management or one of one of our own, one mm. of our HR magazines in in 2005, I think, okay. um, did a study of HR professionals, and I'm actually looking the data up now. Um, and of 2,000 professionals, a whopping 93% of people questioned would choose a normal weight applicant over someone in a higher weight body. So that's stuff that's coming out from yeah. our profession. Um, I, and I can obviously link links to the yeah, article. Please. And, yeah, please. Yeah, you know when we. When, in, I, again, I think it was 20, 2015, I think, um, Mental Health um, Awareness Week, in fact, I've got no, 2019, Mental Health Awareness Week focused on body image. And again, we had lawyers talking about lookism and, you know, we've had HR professionals talking about, you know, is lookism, um, is fat phobia, are these the last sort of bastions of where you can be? kind of bullish and, and, and mm. be unprotected I mean I've got there are other things you know do do redheads get impacted and you know I'm not comparing these things to sort of the racism that you've talked about and, and I'd like to point out that you know that racism appeared when you win and when you lose yeah, um, yeah exactly so, yeah, yeah. you know two weeks ago people were saying oh it was because it's because they'd failed um and you know 
as you say, recently we're seeing that's not the case. So I'm not suggesting that these things are directly compared. But mm. actually, if you listen to the narratives around race, there are similarities in the narrative, particularly around weight. So, for example, we make associations and this this will link in with your your kind of what's the thing about ethnicity Denise mm. you know this whole the whole tropes and, and stereotypes around laziness are well if they're if they're if they're fat and they're in a bigger body they can't be fit and they must be lazy well actually that's not that dissimilar from some of the narrative that you hear around race that mm. you know certain groups of society and it's an you know certain groups in society are lazy they don't work as hard you mm. might look at travelers get kind of get pulled into that um into that sort of scenario as well mm. so yeah it's these things are interconnected and as I said for me it's why it's not a safe space to talk about weight and visible difference because you get mocked just as much you know you get the whole well people can lose weight it's not the same as race but you know again it's not as simple as that there's a lot that goes into the sort of health of, of a person um, but yeah definitely around our, our, our work there are there are clear links there are clear links to society and how that then ends up back at work and now I'm the one that's rambling a little bit and <laughs> no it's all, so, so one, one of the things that you got me thinking about um uh, and, and the risk is now I say this and it implies that I wasn't paying attention to what you were saying and I was I promise um as you were working your way through um through that I was thinking about how many disabled bosses have I had? And I was thinking about how many fat bosses have I had? How many uh, bosses have I had with with some kind of vis, you know, vis, visible difference? And, and I'm struggling to. And granted, it's a sample size of one, and uh, and there's the selective memory aspect of it as well. But when I when I think about those things that you said are just on the edge and are they the last bastions of um of unprotected characteristics um and, and i then think about my workplace experiences and, and i'd encourage the listeners to do the same think about your organization think about the team that you're in or, or where you've worked in the past and how many of those in senior positions within those organizations have been some of the things that denise and i are talking about today because my my lived experience would be there isn't that many if um, yeah yeah on, on yeah. one hand so bearing in mind i've worked in one two three four five different organizations and within that some have employed anything from ten thousand up to a hundred thousand people and again the, uh, yeah I'm, I'm risking making it sound as though i know there's issues with what i'm saying in terms of representation and or experience and memory so with all that said though i'm struggling to come up with uh, a, a case that those people have represented in those yeah. work experiences that I've had sorry no no it's, it's got me thinking actually and I I would say I've been quite fortunate in as that I have got people in my past that I can point to um, but sometimes those those roles were or those circumstances were sort of conditioned or they were tempered with something something else so I think it's a really great question to say, who are we looking at? And who do we see around us? And and if in an organisation, it's a bit like, again, the, the, the link to races, if you're in an organisation and you set an objective to increase your numbers, say, you know, 
in an ideal world you said right okay this is now an issue we recognize we're mm. going to bring people in with this sort of who are on the margins of these sorts of issues do you know people who do you reach out to how do you connect how do you ally and support so I've been fortunate in as that I worked with somebody years ago who on a reception desk had a facial scar however um he was male he was tall and he was considered attractive Hmm. despite again you know like you I'm trying to manage my language here but I hope the listeners know that I'm Mm -hmm. I'm supportive of this so if if something comes out and it's not quite right I'll correct it but you know so ticked a lot of other boxes I've worked with a a fat female boss she's actually a friend of mine now um but again just a really bubbly character um really exceptional at what she did there are still though people who as you say, the majority, if I look through my career, I think those two immediately come to mind. But I've had a near 30-year career, and you're right, I can't think actually off the top of my head of more than those two individuals. And I don't know necessarily their full story about their rise into those roles. Mm. But we do know, if you, if you literally, if you look it up and you go, you know, short men at, at work, you know, you see the research that says that, you know, taller men are more likely to get promoted you see the research that says women who are deemed traditionally more attractive or who wear makeup are more likely to get a role like I said our own sector those 2,000 HR professionals are saying yeah I'd I'd be more inclined to recruit someone in a smaller body Mm. so yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely about representation um and it's about you know we will keep coming back to this idea of awareness i'm not suddenly suggesting that organizations go into sort of panic mode mm. but it's a bit like your example and your experience that when i when we were having the conversation you went yeah i didn't have anyone in my kind mm. of cartoon yeah. or video and yeah. to be fair the image i use on body body um image at work doesn't have any plus size fat people or scarred people in it either that's because and again this is the systemic nature of it i use free image sites there are sites that um work specifically in diversity but those images cost and when you look at fat people at work what you get is pretty horrible images actually i'm not even going to kind of detail what they're like yeah, they're, yeah. they're not pleasant images yeah. so it, it's quite cyclic it's it, there's quite a cycle here that is you know somebody may not put themselves into the workspace or might not put themselves up for a promotion and therefore you don't see um fat or you know vis- visibly disfigured people so much in roles therefore people aren't going to apply for roles because they don't see themselves represented and we go back round in the cycle again mm. but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a good challenge to people to just check your own bias it you know it is as simple as that and I still get it wrong in conversation so I had a conversation last week and somebody sort of said well doesn't this apply to sort of people in smaller bodies because I get commented on as well mm. and that's absolutely true 
and that's a very valid point and I acknowledge that and we had a conversation about that and then I was kicking myself afterwards because I didn't go full circle back round and say yes but you are still not disadvantaged marginalized um and frankly bullied in society at least to the same extent so if you think about sort of John Amici's Virgil um descriptor of of white privilege it's not that you are not disadvantaged in any way because you are attractive because we hear that argument or yeah. in a smaller body we hear that argument but it's because your those things are not holding you back in terms of your career in terms of your ability to travel in terms of your ability to go shopping in terms of your ability to not have memes about you on mm. you know on social media so the first blog i wrote in this space um during lockdown was say no to mean memes because just like literally mm. my whole Facebook page was covered in in jokes that were fat phobic it was and it was just like okay would we do this in any other context so definitely there's something about us raising our own awareness us being perhaps more challenging at work if a, a you know somebody who comes who doesn't fit societal's traditional norms comes into a room you know black women and hair um you know a, a fat person mm. somebody with a vis visible dis difference when we sit in that recruitment meeting they've probably put themselves through quite a lot to come into that position in the first place that's obviously not everybody in those categories um but are we then making a decision about recruiting someone and attaching it to something but not checking our own biases in that space mm -hmm. so I'll, i mean i'll i'll, I'll stop there because again I'm yeah no 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 yes yeah. uh, so uh, I, I i enjoy listening um i'm enjoying listening so uh, so no it's it's uh, it's good it's good so I was going to come into um, a question about um, well, what what should we do then? So what advice can we give to to the fair listener um, to help them be more inclusive? Um, oh, I, I, literally, as I said that question in my head, I'm now going, oh, fair listener, is there something is there something wrapped up in that? But oh, that's something I'll maybe I'll come back to for another. Um, I'll reflect on to think about for future episodes. So yeah, so when we think about the listener, then um, what advice? Um, can we give for them to be more inclusive and to um so we I, I guess within within that last piece you talked about the being bringing it into awareness the considering our own our own biases um and thinking about if that if they if individuals with those characteristics that you mentioned arrive for an interview or, or arrive on a zoom call um how are we checking our own biases within that what, what else would we suggest then to the listener to say, here are some things to think about? I would, as in, you know, with, with any um, area that might, your interest might be triggered, is mm. do the research. There's some really good stuff out there. So, um, as I've mentioned, sort of Body Happy Kids or Body Happy Org, actually, there's some really good stuff in there for adults. Um, mm. There's a book by Sabrina Strings on... Um, racism and fat phobia um called fearing the black body social media you know expand your expand your network however you might choose to do that so you know look for hashtag h-a-e-s um, health for every size so i think there's something about obviously doing your own research there is the point about representation that i've made so you know can you 
you know, I'm, I'm an individual looking for images, but, you know, if you're an organisation that's paying for images, can you make sure your images are diverse? Um, do you give voices to everyone in your organisation? Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got somebody who's quiet in your organisation and perhaps it's connected to one of these things, um, do you encourage them and amplify their, their voice? Um, I think for HR professionals as well, it's about looking at how this fits in with what already exists so it doesn't become another thing that say hr are owning as being oh here's another sort of hobby horse that they're on mm. um, i've talked about eating disorders i've talked about mental health um i've talked about the narrative of return into the office not returning mm -hmm. to work returning yeah. to the office yeah. so think about those those things um and how this might be connected um if you're doing training on de and i don't exclude this from the conversation um because as we've talked about these there are there are groups that are marginalized that don't strictly fall into the protected characteristics mm. um ask people so you know if you have people in your organization who you think maybe are marginalized talk to them um know where to signpost people as well so again just a couple of references so there's an organization called changing faces which is um, offer support for anybody with any kind of visible difference um, mm -hmm. beat is an eating disorder um, association um, and so do those things mm. what I would say is all of those things are relatively passive however um, okay. and so my big challenge to people is in the way that we are encouraged to do it for any other form of mar any other marginalized group call out the bad behavior call it out Mm. be prepared to challenge the stereotype and challenge people now you can really only do that from a solid base of having done your own research in the first place yeah. um, and just be prepared to just present counter arguments so you know health and health and weight is one of the really big ones that's really hard to kind of discount you know to separate and I'm not claiming to be an expert and there are experts on both sides of this argument and they are in disagreement but it's about being prepared to challenge the narrative. It's being prepared to say, I don't find that meme funny. Mm. It's being prepared at your social events to, um, in the same way that we wouldn't have, we have soft drinks as well as alcoholic drinks, allowing for the fact that somebody may have a drink problem, for example. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We need to make sure that there are choices that people have we need to think about the social activities that we do as a workplace and how that might be impacting um, on somebody so if you always go out to eat for example you know what impact might that have now I don't have all of the answers in part because I am slim privilege right mm -hmm. but the point is is being prepared to ask the questions being prepared to learn and grow and recognize that it, we're, we're continuing to learn and we're continuing to grow and that this isn't separate to all of those other things this isn't as such me saying add something new this is about me saying acknowledge that this is not new and this is already part of some of these other things that we are working on as a HR profession and dealing with um, if you're a DEI specialist a HR professional if you are a line manager um, just be mindful of, of, of anything that's triggered or um you know made you reflect that you've heard me talk about today mm. wonderful
Thank you, Denise. I think I think I'm going to put us together um, and, and wrap us up then. So we, we talked about uh, there's been a whole host of of think of um, uh, kind of examples of studies and, and research and books that you've mentioned as it works our way through. So um, uh, what I'll do is um, well, if you can send me the the links to the things that you know we've we've mentioned and we've discussed. Um, so if you've got a, a list of either either the the research papers or the books or the articles or the whatever that might be of things yeah. that we've discussed as we've worked our way through, if you if you send those across, I'll put those into the show notes. And then when I write the show notes, if there's any that I'm missing, I'll drop you a line and say, well, have you got anything on this or have you got anything on that? Yeah, um, no, absolutely. So I can make sure that we put all of those in if that sounds okay. Um, if this is something that somebody wanted to explore with you some more, what would be a good way for people to get hold of you? Um, so I have a um, Instagram account called the Body Confidence Cards. Okay. Um, I have a number actually of Twitter accounts. So uh, <laughs> okay. there's, there's a there's a backstory to why I've got more than one Twitter account on this. But if you look at the um, let me look them up actually, Phil, to make sure I'm giving you the right things. Well, you can send them over if you want, and I can put them in the show notes for people to find. Yeah. As well, so. How how about I do that? Because there are a couple of a couple of things. Um, I've yeah, I'll, I'll do a link to a sort of product that I've got. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll send over the links to you because there are a few ways that people can obviously get in touch with me. And what I would say as well is this is something that I'd like to be doing more of taking mm -hmm. it forward i'd like to run some maybe workshops um or seminars or, or webinars or what have you in in this space with case studies and and you know a lot of what we've covered mm -hmm. um and i definitely think there's some some mileage in you know working with coaches and working with de and i specialists in the, in this space so that's that's kind of the next thing that i'm thinking but i'll, I'll send you some stuff that kind of links those um links those thoughts if you like yeah sounds really good um and what we'll do as well i'll, I'll make sure that the um emotional word podcast instagram account there's a there's a share of your profile um of the um of the cards profile on there as well um and also um it might be um if you're looking for for a community to to maybe test some of these things with and, and play with um at the risk of a shameless plug the emotional work community has, has relaunched recently um, and we've moved over to a to a community platform that's just got discussion and, and the and the interaction um, really at the heart of it, um, which is fantastic. And also we've got some an area where we're putting together some resources. So if you have um, one of the things that we can do is talk about whether there might be some resources that we can make available to the members so that um, so there can be some things in there that might help them as well, if that would be OK. Yeah, no, that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, um, I hope I didn't ramble too much. There were definitely points where I was like, I think I've lost the thread. No, but, not um, not at all, Denise. It's been a it's been a wonderful podcast. I mean, one of the things that that well, you know me already. Um, I, I I really like to listen to what people have got to say. So. Um, and, and if I, if, he, if it wasn't interesting, I'd have, I promise I'd have interrupted and told you. <laughs> so no, it's been it's good to know. Um, it's been really good. It's been really good. Um, so before I, I wrap us up formally, then, and we close off the podcast, is there anything else, or is there something else that you're thinking, feeling, or want to say? Uh, 
I, I think I've, I've probably probably said it all other than to say, you know, I, I hope people will engage with me to continue mm. the dialogue um, and to help me grow. Um, yeah. You know, people share their experiences with me. Um, that would be really helpful as I kind of continue continue this journey. But for the listeners, I suppose that the final message really is, is that we shouldn't be beating ourselves up about the fact that we maybe haven't, this hasn't landed with us previously mm-hmm. because it's, but it's almost the, the, the systemic nature of, of um, what we've been talking about means that it's, it's not on our radar because it supports some sectors of society. Mm. And our role is, is not to, not necessarily to change the world. It's to change where we are to do what we can to ally with people who might be marginalized actively ally not just say i hear you and isn't it sad to be prepared to actually do something to make a difference and so in a way it's a reflection back to the readers i always say to to people you know what one thing will you do it's great if you found it interesting um but what one thing are you now, now going to go and do so I suppose my the last thing that I would say is is just share that stuff be prepared to do something and share and help build a community of allies if you are not in that marginalized group and know that there are people out there there are a whole wealth of people out there who are in this space less so at work so let's make this a conversation that we start having as a HR profession as DEI professionals um so that it, it doesn't become another big thing but it mm. doesn't go back to being something that we're just not considering anymore um so it's it's a plea rather than a, a an offer um, yeah, no. and i'm here to support that um in in any way that i can wonderful well thank you so much for your time today i really really loved having you on um, and it's been a fascinating um, conversation and I've really, really enjoyed it. So thank you, Denise, so much for your time and thank you for coming on the Emotional World podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Phil. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast. And if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace, either within individuals, between people in teams or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub, which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk. Thanks for listening.